So uh, this morning, we're not in our regular pattern. We're going to, and I just love the way God coordinates things. Somehow I knew it had to be this Sunday that Kathy would come. And this Sunday, we're talking, we're getting out of our normal routine and going through 2 Corinthians. And we're going to jump back into the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 26, about fighting battles, about how we can be liberated how we can find uh, freedom from whether it's addictions or uh, things that hold us back and keep us from finding that victory and that love and life that we can have in Christ. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 26. It is one of my favorite chapters, but I don't know if I'll ever get it around to preaching through the books of Chronicles. So we're going to do it right now. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword and judgment or pestilence or famine. We will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. O Lord our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Je Jeiel, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up from the ascent of Ziz, you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm 
hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, and praise the Lord, set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who came against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for they, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. It, this uh, passage that we've been working on in 2 Corinthians is really about Paul going through these trials and how he endured the tr through the trials and how he was comforted. So we, we have our own trials, don't we? They're not as great, but we can look to people right now in Florida who have lost homes, some, some have lost loved ones, and know that this world easily faces trials, faces battles, faces hardships. We hear the news of Russia threatening nuclear war, and we have interpersonal strife. Inflation is hard on a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck. And it seems that the enemy is working overtime to discourage us and hinder our walk with the Lord. You should always remember that you and the Lord are a majority. Amen? You, just you, little old you, plus Jesus, is a majority. Doesn't matter how many come against you. There is good news, though, in the world as well. Many souls coming to the Lord in places uh, around the world. And I've just been reading a book that, uh, Bev, are you here this morning? I guess she's not here this morning. Bev gave me about uh, Rabbi Kaduri, a a very famous rabbi who lived at the age of 108. 
he died, I think, in 2007, left behind a note, said to seal this note for one year, and then his disciples could release the note, and it would reveal the Messiah who he had met. And the name on the note was Yehoshua, Jesus' Hebrew name. And how that right now is being used all over Israel, winning Jewish-born uh, citizens of Israel to Christ. It's wonderful. And that's not just Israel. Uh, the whole Muslim world is having dreams and visions of Jesus. And so God is on the move today. So we look at our little world and all the strife we're going through and all the potential problems, China with Taiwan and everything, and we think, oh, this is it's horrible. It's the end of the world. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> but first, there are many souls need to come into the kingdom. So I'm going to read verse 2 uh, through 4 again. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming up against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. So what do you do when you're faced with impossible odds? When you seem to be overwhelmed with something that just seems too much for you, when all hope seems to be lost, Jehoshaphat did the right thing. He didn't go to his counselors. He didn't uh, try to figure out, how can I do this? What am I supposed to do? Instead, he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout the nation. We used to do that in America. There have been a number of fasts proclaimed by presidents throughout our history. Um, uh, the great Dust Bowl time. Uh, during uh, World War I, during World War II, presidents, during the Civil War, presidents proclaimed a fast throughout America. I don't think you're going to hear that anymore. But that doesn't mean we can't fast and set our face to seek the Lord. Amen? So together, they gathered with the king at the temple to seek the Lord and ask him, what should we do? And I think we can learn, I know we can learn how to deal with insurmountable odds by learning from this prayer from Jehoshaphat. It's from verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Not Russia, not China, not any nation. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house, before your name, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in affliction, and you will hear and save. So what Jehoshaphat was doing was going back in his history to declare, um, to, pr uh, for, to pray, a prayer of declaration of God's faithfulness and God's promises. We have to understand uh, that we need to stand on God's word. 
Our emotions can, especially in times of stress, our emotions can be a mess. Our thinking becomes unclear because of the chaos in our world. Our flesh can be raging just to take over and do things our own way. But if we want a place of stability, we must go to the unshakable truth of God's word. God had promised in verse 9 to Israel when the temple was, when Solomon completed the temple, the, what, what he said in verse 9. That is why so many people today go to the Western Wall to pray. They still claim this promise. If you go to this place, if you, your face is toward the temple because that's where the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies, then God will hear your prayer. But where should we turn? He's no longer in that place. The temple's been torn down. Where is the house of prayer for all nations today? Remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days? He is our temple. He is where we turn, the word made flesh. Go to the rock, stand on the words of Jesus, the words of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. Jehoshaphat pulled this request from Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. Now, he didn't exactly quote it, but he got the spirit of it. But the idea is found earlier, the, that prayer is found earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 28-30. We know God heard Solomon's prayer and, and affirmed what he was asking, because as soon as Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, and lit the altar. And the glory of God filled the temple so that the priests weren't even able to get into the temple. The glory of God was so thick. King Jehoshaphat knew that prayer was heard and that he could stand on those words. They were doing exactly what Solomon prayed, by all coming to the temple to seek God's help in a situation where they, in which they feared. So let me ask again, where is the temple today? Where do we go when we're overwhelmed, when things seem impossible? Jesus is the one to whom we go. Remember when he told the Samaritan woman, she said, our fathers say you're supposed to worship on Gerizim and you say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, the time is coming when it won't be Gerizim or Jerusalem because the father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is our place of worship. It's not a building. It's living stones that make up the church in which Jesus dwells. Jesus, our chief cornerstone. So we pray together to the God who hears and we seek his face. And that means seeking his face means to have his eyes toward you, to have his ears toward you, to have him hear your prayer and see your circumstance. Not to do our own will, but to pray his will into the earth. He invites us to come to him and present our requests and give him our burdens isn't that amazing? We have a God who says, give me your burdens. I mean, it's very rare that anybody in this world will share your burdens with you, right? But that your creator, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords invites you to share your burdens with him. He commands us not to be anxious about anything, but come in prayer and ask him for help. And that's what the people of Judah were doing here. Verse 10 and 11. And now behold the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came, when, when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and didn't destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. In these verses, Jehoshaphat was appealing to the justice of God. His ancestors obeyed God and didn't war against those groups who were really distant relatives as they were on their way to the promised land. So it was unjust that now they would come and attack Judah. You see, the 12 tribes had split after Solomon. Um, Jeroboam took the tribe, 10 tribes to the north, and Rehoboam had the two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, and some of the Levites, which after that time just became known as Judah. So now they're not the massive army that they once were. There's only uh, two tribes, mainly Judah was the biggest tribe. Benjamin had gotten very small. So we called it, that's where we get the word Jews from Judah. So now that they're just a small, much smaller group, these nations think, oh, we can come and take them over. But he's reminding God, God, you, you had us spare them before, and now are you going to let them slaughter us? This is the land you gave to us. Didn't you give this to us, Lord? Remember, Lord, it's ours. I think you gave it to us. You're not going to take it back, are you? So even though Rehoboam, that is the, the Solomon's son, that had turned from God and the nation split and evil kings had reigned at different times in Judah, Jehoshaphat claimed that original promise when the house of the Lord was built by Solomon. And he believed God would never fail to keep his promises, even if the people went astray at times. He was doing all he could to live up to the covenant, and therefore he believed he could trust God's promises. Now we live under the new covenant, hallelujah, and though we stumble and are unfaithful at times, if we set our heart to seek the Lord and we sincerely seek his direction, the promises of the new covenant are ours to claim before God. We can pray, Lord, you said in your word, and then we can quote the promises that we have in the New Testament. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't it freeing when you admit how powerless you are? This morning in our uh, Bible study uh, before the worship service, one of our sisters was talking about how she had tried to break free from her addiction to tobacco. And she had tried and tried. She'd used the patch. She'd done everything. But she was giving a, a testimony of praise because God did it later. Much later, she finally gave up, but then God touched her heart about nine days ago. She hasn't even wanted to smoke since because it was God. She recognized she was powerless. She knew she couldn't do it, but she knew God could, and God did. Amen. So we need to admit our powerlessness in, against the forces of evil. 
We must rely completely on God's direction with our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's when we're weak that we are strong, which is exactly what we're learning in 2 Corinthians. Our eyes should not be on ourselves and our limitations, but on God and his almighty power. When we cry out to God, acknowledging our weaknesses, we invite God's strength in. Verse 13 through 15. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Baaniah, son of Jehiel, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. There they all are, even the children, standing in front of the temple, looking towards the Holy of Holies because they understood the presence of God was there, waiting for God to speak. And suddenly the Spirit of God comes upon one of the prophets, Jehaziel, which means that God sees. God sees your situation. And suddenly he spoke with, it must have been a booming voice. In Old Testament times, God's spirit would come upon someone for a time and they would speak out what God was saying. You could write it down as scripture. But today, the Holy Spirit is always with us and we can discern when the words are from God or from man. We don't add the words to our Bibles, but we consider the words of the, the one who's inspired to speak. And in prayer, we ask for the application to our own lives. God's instructions through that prophet, Jehaziel, were according to the prayer of Solomon. God promised to hear when they all stood and prayed toward the temple, for that was where that presence of God was. The battle belongs to God. Do not fear or be dismayed is a command from God. Trust in God casts out fear. If you're trusting in the one who's all-powerful, who controls the nations, what do you have to fear? The righteous are as bold as a lion because we know power belongs to the Lord and we are not subject to the fear of death. Verse 17 you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now, the substance of the oracle is restated in verse 17 with a quotation from Exodus 14, 13. Even in Jehaziel's prophecy, he's quoting scripture. The God who had parted the Red Sea had not changed in hundreds of years, and he's still the same today. The assurance of God's presence was more than a theological statement. It was their source of strength. This is God's battle tactic. Let him fight for you. Stand firm in faith and watch what God does. That's what our sister did. That's what we can do. That's what this nation was doing. God had to say again, 
Do not fear or be dismayed. You know, as we began the passage, it says Jehoshaphat was, was, was fearful. Then the prophecy began, don't be afraid, and ends with, do not fear or be dismayed. You think maybe we're not supposed to fear? Fear is a lack of faith. Faith pleases God. And God decides the outcome of all battles. Before we were born, he decided when each person involved in whatever situation we face would live or die. If God is for us, who can be against us? We should remember that powerful account of Job. It seemed like God had utterly forsaken Job, but it was just the opposite. God let Satan do his worst, and Job came out victorious, closer to God, humbler, more blessed by the grace of God. And he had it worse than most any of us will face. But he declared that even if God killed him, he would still trust God. But when we quote that verse, we leave off the last half of the verse. You know, you hear that quite often. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know what the other half of the verse says? Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Even if he kills me, I'll trust him. But I don't understand what's going on, God. I got to talk to you about this. This just doesn't seem fair. My kids are all dead. I'm covered with boils. My friends are telling me I just need to confess something I never did. What's going on? But if he slays me, I'll still trust him. See, it's okay to question God. It's okay not to understand what you're going through. But you still need to trust him. And if you trust him, he'll see you through. He learned that we know so little that our questioning God's goodness and righteousness is vanity. We just need to trust and know that the day will come when we will understand. Verse 18 and 19, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. When we're assured of the promises of God on our behalf, we too should fall and worship the Lord and sing praises to his holy name. Because we know it's as good as done. Our faith is evident when our cry of desperation turns into songs of praise. I think it's important to see that God hadn't told them what he was going to do or how he was going to do it. It was truly a a trust me, I got this kind of promise. They had to believe that somehow God was going to take care of it without knowing the means. I think that often happens to us. He, He requires that quite often. Remember when Abraham left Ur, he simply said, go to a land I will show you. He didn't tell him that where the land was. He didn't yet tell him that it'd be 400 years before his descendants would have the land. He just instructs and he expects us to believe in his all-powerful ability and his love for us. Verse 20, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. 
Believe the word of the Lord and you will be established and, it, and succeed. Because Jesus is the word and the prophets spoke his word. So we could just say, believe Jesus. Amen. Believe the word. Believe Jesus, our Messiah, and you will be established. Believe what his apostles conveyed to us of the life and teachings of Jesus, his death and resurrection on our behalf, and you will succeed. The great difference is they were fighting a physical battle, but our battle is much greater. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We're, we're not fighting for a piece of land promised to us, but for the spiritual kingdom of God and the souls of men, the living stones of New Jerusalem. We conquer with the love of God, the word of our testimony, and the blood of the Lamb. Verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went out before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. The people and their king had such faith that they put the Levitical singers in front of the army as they marched out to the battle site. Now that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to the carnal mind. What, what if God wanted to use their army like he used Gideon? A few defeat the many. But if you have total faith in the details of what God said, then you would stand still and see the salvation of God. So in total faith, they were just going to, have the choir go out in front of the warriors and praise God. So the choir gets out in front of the army and they sang the national anthem of Israel, a declaration of their faith. They believed God and his prophets, so they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now that might be a chorus or it might be the song in 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 36. I don't know which. Well, either way, it was an expression of their faith that God loves us and he was going to take care of it. And therefore, we can trust him to persevere, to help us persevere until our time on earth is done. And while the world threatens and taunts us, we believe the details of his promises to us and rest assured in his all-powerful hands. And 22 and 23, and when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they'd made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. Now take note of the fact that it was when they began to sing and praise the Lord that he set the ambush against the enemy. They started praising God, and God went into action. Our faith is demonstrated by our songs and praise to the Lord, even before our prayers are answered. Faith moves the hand of God. You've heard me say many times that when we are fighting doubt and discouragement, we should sing songs of praise. And now you know why. It's the voice of faith. It shifts our focus from our problems to the Lord who delivers us. It turns our eyes to him and away from the world, from the transient to the eternal. Battles at that time were often to, usually to subjugate people and to take their wealth and make them pay tribute in the future. 
So God may have had these two larger armies decide they didn't want to share the spoils of war with the smaller group. They may have seen the singers out front and thought this is going to be easy. So they didn't need the, the Meunites, or so they thought. Me does not unite. But then greed took over even more, and the two larger forces fought each other, and in the end they destroyed one another to a man. Now, I made it sound kind of natural, but usually when an army's losing, it retreats. That's normal. This was obviously miraculous, for they fought to the last two men, and those last two men killed each other. That had to be supernatural. When God fights for you, the enemy won't even realize what hit him until it's too late. It's like Pharaoh and his army, you know, going through the Red Sea. And when they saw those walls of water collapse, it was too late. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. What the enemy meant for evil against Israel turned out to be a blessing for them. And that's what happens with many of our trials as well. Now the spoils, here it says goods and clothing and precious things, but took them three days to collect it all. There was so much. So mark this verse in your Bible to remind yourself that when God is for you, what the enemy means to do for you, to you for, for to do to you will probably turn out on their heads and end up a blessing. You know, years ago we sent two guys to to Kenya as missionaries, and part of their ministry they would run into witch doctors, and the witch doctors told them, "We don't try to cast curses on you Christians." because when we do, it comes back on us. They testified, witch doctors testified to the power of Christ in us. It may be a long time coming, but righteousness will prevail. So be patient and trust God. And our last verse, on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. We're not exactly sure where that might have been, but it could be this valley where that they came up to Jerusalem for the feast, and it had been a place of uh, defeat before, which was called Baca, the place of weeping. And if that's the case, God turned their mourning into dancing and weeping into praise. But the story ends with a warning. Even, I didn't read the following verses, but even after this miraculous protection by God, verse 33 tells us, the people had not yet set their hearts upon God of their fathers. When we see such miraculous intervention, we are even more accountable to put our faith in God alone. And many of us have seen God intervene in our lives in amazing ways. Joy, praise, and worship, though, faded over time, and the people went back to their compromising worship of other gods. May it never be so with us by the grace of God. Amen? What an amazing account. 
And what an example they set at that time. But what will we do with it? Will we believe the Lord our God and be established? Or will we fear? Will we believe the promises of God and act in faith, praising God? And even if we do, will we persevere? Will we by grace through faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus, for he's already won the victory, never slack off. Keep pressing forward. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep trusting in him. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his word and you will succeed. Amen. Jill, would you come lead us in a closing song and then I'll give the benediction.